0: It will be surprising to most people, but the answer is no. Oh. The project I did with Keisha, $3,000, let us just say all in $20,000, was uh, a docu-series. The project I did with the interior designer, we ended up calling it a brand, cam- brand film campaign. We did three parts, but it was more of a brand film than it was a docu-series, but it was a docu-series. Um, three-part docu-series. The very first project I charged 100,000 for I think that was a five part or six part docuseries, actually, but they were docu series. That was the package. That is what I understood. When you talk about strategy of preeminence, what I created that other people could not create is a series of stories that tied together to tell an overarching story. Um, And so much of that did not change. But I keep going back to this because I think it's important what changes my mindset at the time.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Modern Consultant. I'm your host, Mark Aarons, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of being able to host a fellow Caribbean immigrant, Jude Charles. If you've never heard the name, Bucklop, you're in for a ride because he is going to talk about the mindset shifts that it took for him to go from pitching $3,000 contracts to $100,000 contracts to then pitching $1 million contracts. Here's a spoiler alert. The actual kinds of deliverables don't change. What changed Were the kinds of clients, as well as the mindset, and how he positioned himself. How could you potentially be doing the same? He has worked with $700 million copywriters. He has also worked with Steve Harvey and many people that you have heard about. If you were to go to his website, there's so much for us to be able to get into in this story. And one thing that's going to stand out to a number of you is the fact that he actually generated the most revenue he had ever made While he was actually depressed, we get into everything on this episode. This is going to be a very special one, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Uh, Jude, I just want to say uh, welcome to the show. It is an honor to have you. There are so many questions that I want to ask you, but to just get right into it. People listening into the intro would have probably heard, you know, like highlights, you know, from your career, you know, going from like $3,000 contracts to $100,000 contracts, and also hearing about how you believe in being vulnerable and telling authentic stories, not just for your clients, but also for yourself. And if we could go back to Jude of $3,000, contracts. Yeah. Did you always hold those beliefs? Or was there something that happened along the way uh, that inspired you to really just double down on authenticity?
0: Yeah, I didn't always hold those beliefs. Um, I think in the beginning of my career, I was very prideful. Um, I am the youngest of 10 children. My parents are Haitian immigrants, and they came to the United States uh, to give us, our siblings, a better life. And when I told my parents that I would start a business at 17, that I was not going to go to college, it created ruffles, and I needed to prove to them that I would be able to do this, that I would be able to build this business and it wasn't just a hobby. The turning point, I think for me was in 2011. So I started the business in 2006. Mm -hmm. In 2011, five years in, I remember waking up one morning to the sounds of chains hitting the ground. And it had always been a nightmare for me to hear these chains hitting the ground. I jump up out of bed, I run to the front window to see what's happening And what it was, was a tow truck driver coming to repossess my car for the second time in eight months. I go back in my room. I sit on the edge of my bed. And because this has been five years, I'm like, you know what? I'm 22, about 21, 22 at this time. I've given this a good five-year run. Maybe my parents are right. Maybe I do need college. Let me go back to school. And in that moment that I'm sitting there in this soup of anxiety with my head in my hands, I get a phone call from a client I had been working with for about a year at that point. Hmm. Her name is Keisha Dior. Keisha Dior and I had worked together to create a documentary on her building a cosmetic company from the ground up. So she was she had created lipsticks, colored lipsticks to think of like blue, purple, green, yellow. They were not popular back then, 2010, 2011. And uh, she calls me, she's like, Jude, Jude, you won't believe it, you won't believe it. And I'm like, what happened, Keisha? And she's like, I just got off the phone with my accountant and he's told me we've made a million dollars. I've crossed over the seven figure mark. I'm at a point where I'm struggling to make $20,000 a year. Hmm. Keisha's project, um, I had made, I charged her only $3,000, but here she is telling me she's made $1 million. For context, we had done a documentary. And so it's like, I had never known that a documentary that I created or anything that I created, a video, for that matter, I create could make someone money, like truly make someone money. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the turning point, because I sat there and I thought about quitting. But then Keisha calls me and tells tells me she's made money. And I'm thinking, okay, I could quit. I could say, you know what, this is proof. I don't know what I'm doing. Here's a client making boatloads of money more than I am. And she's only been a year in business. I've been five years in business. Or I can look at it as I've created something valuable. How do I repeat this? Why did it work? Mm -hmm. I chose that second route of I've created something valuable. How do I repeat this? Why did it work? Why did people go from watching this documentary to um, purchasing lipstick? And that was the turning point. Because when I sat there and thought about what we did with Keisha's project, Keisha was extremely authentic in who she was. The documentary was less about creating lipstick as much as it was about women empowerment, as much as it was about being comfortable, um, being in the skin you're in. And if you want to wear blue lipstick, wear blue lipstick, even if other people think it's ridiculous. If you feel confident in it, you wear it. And that to me was the turning point where I realized, oh, okay, there's Keisha focused on telling her story, which, of course, yeah, I went into it thinking that, but I didn't know it would work. And it's at that point that I begin to tell my own story. There's a story of how I got started in video production that I never used to share because I thought it wasn't impactful. But in 2006, when I started, it was because of my TV production teacher, Mrs. Donnelly. She taught me everything she knew about video production. And then on May 4th, 2006, she said to me, Jude, you're really talented at this. You should start a business. I had no idea what that meant. Again, my my parents are Haitian immigrant parents, blue collar workers. My dad uh, was a construction worker. My mom worked at a chair factory. But the following day, May 5th, 2006, Mrs. Donnelly came into the classroom with a yellow envelope. And inside of this yellow envelope, Mark, was my first set of business cards, which I still have one to this day. Nice. And that is what got me started. But that was a story I never shared in the beginning. Hmm. So I was just like, oh, there's nothing powerful or special about that. Um, but it's, it's, that was the turning point with Keisha was understanding this created value for other people that turned into money for Keisha what if I did the same in my own business Mm. and that started that journey
1: that is such an impactful story and I'm glad that you've chosen to share it it reminds me of a training slash coaching call that i had last week friday um with michael hogg uh, are you familiar
0: with him i am yeah yeah
1: yeah you know just prolific and fun guy great teacher <laughs> <laughs> and you know uh he was uh for anyone that's listening in and they they don't have the context um you know if you search for the Hero's two journeys um you'll see um a book slash audiobook uh, by him but he has been a story coach to people like will smith uh, on several projects and um he 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 knows this stuff basically and he talks about the outer journey versus the inner journey of the hero uh and the story that you just shared like i could hear the inner journey of transformation through it you know and it's like at the end of the hero's journey you know, going through that conflict is then what gives us the lessons that we're then able to carry back and share with others so that they can go on their own hero's journey. So I think that's particularly powerful and also leads me into uh, some other pointed questions uh, that I want to ask you, because at the time of this recording, there's no way for you to have had this context, but I actually know quite a few, well, quite a few, enough, I have a couple friends in the business of video storytelling, you know, some have uh, shot commercial videos for Grubhub, Um, others have uh, shot for the U.S. Navy, Uh, and some are still finding their way. And for some of them that don't already know this about you, you have an impressive, Client roster. Like you've, if, if we go to your website right now and we look at the highlight reel, there's folks in your video like, you know, Steve Harvey, you know, and, uh, you know, deeper into like the copywriting entrepreneurship world, um, Stefan Gorgi, if I'm, I think I might be mispronouncing his name. Uh, did Stéphane I get that? Right? <laughs> Stefan Gorgi. All right. I'm going to commit that to memory. Um, and for those listening in who aren't familiar with that, he's like a $700 million uh, copywriter. He's doing okay. And, like you've had the opportunity to work with some incredible folks, but like you just shared in the initial story there, you started off at like $3,000 projects. I'm guessing you're not charging them. You didn't charge Steve Harvey $3,000.
0: No, no, not at all. You know, it's, it is been, so it's 17 years I've been in business at this point. And it has been a blessing to find my own way it took those first five years of failing but then I after the Keisha experience one thing I clearly understood is that I did not understand marketing and sales <laughs> and I took a year off at that point I still continued to work with Keisha we did a three part we ended up doing a three-part series because the first one was so successful we did two other parts to add to her docu to make it a documentary series and uh, I knew I needed to learn marketing and sales. And so I remember searching for different online courses, online workshops, specifically not around filmmaking or cinematography, because I was really passionate about those two things at the point at the time. What I ended up looking for is the business side of filmmaking. Hmm. I don't know how, but I ended up coming across Jay Abraham and Jay Abraham had a book out at the time called Getting Everything You Can Out of Everything You've Got. And I remember reading that book for the first time, and just like the examples that he gave of like how the how FedEx Next Day Air came out of the banking industry, or mm-hmm. how Henry Ford had created the um, the car uh, assembly line from the meat industry because the meat industry had the assembly line. And so I started making these connections in my mind. But it wasn't until I went and found Ramit Sethi, who had been a student of Jay Abraham, that had a course called earn 1k and earn 1k to me the thesis behind it was if you earned your first 1,000 you could repeat it now obviously I had heard I had earned my first 1,000 but I had no system behind it I had no way of repeating it or knowing how to do it again or even knowing what was valuable to clients like I was selling video after that I stopped selling video clients do not hire me for video today And so, yes, I've gone from charging three thousand to now definitely over six figures. It's been over; it's now over a hundred thousand as well. Um, I'm going after, at this point, my first million dollar project. Nice. But what it took to get there was a quite a few mindset shifts. Um, But I think the easiest one that I usually tell my friends when they come to me for advice is: every time you finish a project and it's successful. Now, everybody has different rubrics for success, but for me, successful is the client's happy and I'm happy with what I created. Mm -hmm. Those two things have to happen. If the client's not happy, then that means it's not successful. But if those two things happen, I increase my rate. Now, sometimes I did it by 25%. Sometimes I did it just by tripling my rate. After I worked with Keisha, so we had worked together on the first Project 3000, I was able to talk her to doing the next out th- the next project. I think at seven thousand, the final project we did at ten thousand, the final uh documentary. But I remember going to work with a client. He was an in, in interior design. He had actually found me. He sought after me to, and he we had worked. I had worked on this project uh, for the city of Pompano Beach, which is a city I had lived in, and they were celebrating a hundred years. They hired me to do their one hundred year documentary. This interior designer was working parallel with me, but not on the same project, but he was working with the city of Pompano. Well, four years later, he remembered me. He reached out to me and was like, hey, I saw what you did for Keisha. I kind of want to do the same thing for my interior design business. Mm -hmm. Will you come in and talk to me about that? We had talked. um, It took me a month to put the proposal together. I was going back and like the way Ramit taught things, taught how to like put a proposal together. I was trying to make sure I had everything right. And then I remember going to sit down and meet with William, the interior designer. I went through the whole pitch and at the very end, I told him how much it would cost. And it was $15,000. And I sat there quiet, thinking in my mind, okay, we're going to negotiate this. $15,000 is probably too much in his mind. He has never done a video project like this before. His next word shocked me. He said, great, when do we get started? Now, I'd gone, this is in a year's time, I had gone from 3,000 to 15,000. Mm-hmm. I worked with William for another four years. Altogether, we may have, we may have, uh, he may have invested $50,000 in, pro- in different projects with me. But I remember asking William, why? Why did you say yes so easily in the beginning? And as much as the proposal was great, there was one thing I added to the proposal that I had never done before. And it was a storyboard, a preliminary storyboard of what this project could look like. Hmm. I gave him a picture. I painted the picture of what it could look like. And he said, when he saw that, that was the one thing. He said, it wasn't just that I knew how to do video. I already had the project mapped out in my head and that's the person he wanted to hire. And so again, it's these different mindset shifts, these different Hmm. points. Hmm. The most important part of that mindset shift then at that point as I asked why. Yes, I got yes, but I needed to understand the psychology behind why I got yes in order to repeat that. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned from Earn 1K with Ramit Sethi is repeat, create a system. If it works, double down on it. I needed to double down on it and still to this day. I've changed it a little bit, but there's two things I include that I know are most valuable to my clients that storyboard, which is the preliminary, how do we, how are we gonna do this project? But also a story bank. Mm. Mm-hmm. The story bank comes from, at this point today, what I do is called a road mapping strategy session. I sit with my clients for six to eight hours. We go really deep into their business, hearing different stories. What I then do is take those stories they've told me in road mapping put it into a document that their marketing team can now use in in other efforts, even if we're not going to produce it as a docu-series for them. I see. Right. Again, all of these things have added, have compounded over time. It's not that I got here overnight. It took me years. I think so. Actually, if we talk about the timeline of this, Mm -hmm. 2011 is when I worked with Keisha 3000 my very first project that I charged 100,000 for was 2016. So it took five years to get to that point. Um, yeah, it's just a bunch of mindset sh- shifts that are important towards understanding what works and doubling down on what works and not getting lost in the nose or not getting lost in disappointment, <laughs> but continuing to do what works.
1: There are many lessons, uh, within that. And I really like that you called out the repeatability factor, uh, that is essential for any kind of sustainable business, uh, whether it's, you know, creative industry or otherwise. There was also something else I heard in there because, especially cause you referenced, um, Jay Abraham earlier and, um, getting everything you can out of everything that you've got. Jay is also known for his uh, strategy of preeminence. Um, Are you familiar with? uh, So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know, so it's, it's, so I heard the elements, uh, within that. And one particular role that it sounded like you started to take on was, um, the role of the strategic advisor,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: you, you showed them a vision Yeah, and it was clearer and or potentially better than what they had. And you were basically giving them a roadmap to greatness and they're like, yes, I wanna go on that journey with you. Mm-hmm. Like um, you are going to be beyond an effective guide uh, for getting me there. And it also um, sub communicates that you have their best interest in, at heart. Uh, so I think that's an extremely powerful. Follow up question to that is, So we're up to like the 15K uh, contract mark as we're moving towards like the 100K uh, contract mark. Some of the questions I can hear three people, three different uh, people that I'm thinking of who are at different stages of growth in their uh, creative business growth. One of them still full time uh, work, but they're working with clients like BMW and stuff like that, more like the animation side another where they already have a full-time team you know more than like 10 plus employees that sort of thing and there's another person that's in between uh the two of them and this is more broadly applicable to all consultants and really service providers as well all that said has the structure of the contract the deliverables that you provide significantly changed from 3K to 15K going up to 100K. And even now, as you said, you know, going after $1 million contracts.
0: It will be surprising to most people, but the answer is no. Ah. The project I did with Keisha, $3,000, let us just say all in $20,000 was uh, a docu-series. The project I did with the interior designer, we ended up calling it a brand cam- brand film campaign. We did three parts, but it was more of a brand film than it was a docu-series, but it was a docu-series. Um, three part docu-series. The very first project I charged 100,000 for, I think that was a five part or six part docu-series actually, but they were docu-series. That was the package. That is what I understood when you talk about strategy of preeminence, what I created that other people could not create is a series of stories that tied together to tell an overarching story. Um, and so much of that did not change. But I keep going back to this because I think it's important what changes my mindset at the time. Mm. So I mentioned this time, timeline of 2011. It was actually 2017, so six years before I charged uh, 100,000. There was something important that happened in 2014. Uh, I went to a leadership conference in Spokane, Washington. And Spokane, Washington reminded me of home, which I already mentioned is Pompano Beach, Florida. Very eclectic people that that uh, live there, very colorful. It's not like Seattle, Washington, where it rains nonstop. And I went to this three-day conference and I remember thinking, all right, this is right, I've been to conferences before. I know what this is gonna feel like coming back home. I want to digest this. I had always known leadership was important to me at that point. Didn't know how, didn't know how I would fulfill my purpose and mission in life. I decided, Mark, to digest all of this, that I would take a Greyhound bus from the furthest northwest point of America, which is Washington State, <laughs> to the furthest southeast point of America, which is Florida. Wow. And I really thought it was a great idea, but it ended up being the dumbest idea of him.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's
0: <laughs> three day trip. And let's just say there's a lot of crazy people that come onto Greyhound buses. And it was just weird the entire time.
1: Yes, I've been on Greyhound buses <laughs> quite a bit.
0: I got to Chicago, Illinois by day two. I had my phone off this entire time, but I got to Chicago, turned back on my phone. Again, I'm miserable by this point. And I'm getting a flood of text messages. But the first one that I noticed that stands out to me is a text message from my sister. And it says, call me back, it's urgent. I began to brace myself because this is July of 2014 In March of 2014. My father had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Ah. My mother had suffered from depression and had already attempted suicide before that year. So I braced myself knowing that this call me back. It's urgent text message is either mom or dad.
2: Hmm.
0: I call my sister back and she says they found my dad unresponsive in the home. Now I'm traveling. They probably don't want to shock me too much, but I already know what that means. That means he has passed away. Mm-hmm. So I take the first flight back home from Chicago, Illinois. I get off the Greyhound bus. I take a cab to um, the airport, and I take the flight from Chicago, Illinois to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I land in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My brother comes to pick me up. He comes with his daughter, my niece, Ayana. I hug my brother. I don't say a word. I hug my niece, and I don't say a word. But I sit in the back seat with my niece. I'm staring off because I've already mentioned, I'm the youngest of 10. I'm 25 years old at this time. I am not imagining that I would lose my father at such an early age. He wouldn't get to see me uh, get married or have kids. And I'm just trying to figure out what does life look like now? As I'm sitting in the back seat, Ayana, she is nine years old and she looks at me and she says, uncle, why did grandpa have to die? And I stared at her because I don't know how to answer a nine-year-old who's, this is her first time having to deal with death. And she said it again, why did grandpa have to die? Mark, that question rang in my ear as we're making funeral arrangements, deciding what to do with my father's assets and different things. But on August 9th, 2014, I got my answer because on August 9th, as we're laying my father to rest, I, Jude Charles, the youngest of 10 children, am asked to give my father's eulogy. Hmm. And it's in that moment that I learned leadership wasn't just important, but it was leading through difficult moments that was important. Most importantly, my purpose that came out of that to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless courage. Now, I alluded to this earlier, my clients do no longer hire me for video production. That is not why they are looking at, I want to work with Jude Charles. They're looking to work with Jude Charles to lead them through the process of crafting their story, but it's really not even about that. It's 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 leadership to have courage. Hmm. Most of the entrepreneurs I work with, you've already mentioned, are very high-level entrepreneurs. They run seven and eight-figure businesses, and it takes courage to lead a team. It takes courage to tell your story in a very authentic way, very vulnerable way. That is one of the requirements of working with me. If you're not willing to be vulnerable, we're not a good fit, but that is what my clients are hiring me for and I'm very clear about that and I became clear after 2014 so much so that in road mapping before we ever get started with road mapping this story that I just told you about the day I found out my father passed away is the same story I start with in road mapping and I end it with I'm not here to lead you through creating a cool video I'm not here to even lead you through your storytelling abilities I'm just here to lead you through this process of transformation and that framing sets up everything else that comes later on. Hmm. But I understood that as I continued to grow, there was this mindset shift. I forget if it was Jay Abraham that talks about it. It might be Dan Kennedy that talks about what business are you really in? And I was not in the business of video production, not in the business of storytelling. I'm in the business of leadership. And I operate in that way. Even today, as we're recording this, 17 years later, I still operate in that way. But that is, I keep going back to this mindset shift because it's really, the tools are the tools. The cameras are the cameras. The tactics are may change year over year. But it's really the mindset that helps me to grow from 3,000 to 100,000 to even 1 million because I understand who I am at a very core and deep level. That took a lot of work, didn't get there overnight, mm. but that's how you quote unquote, figure things out.
1: Well said, and I'm going to respectfully and politely, uh, challenge it to validate it for the purposes of serving the audience in the deepest way possible. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely agree that mindset, vision, the principles, uh, I look at, uh, values, um, as guiding principles for decision-making, you know, through uh, navigating the, you know, tornadoes and hurricanes of life. And I think leadership is one of the strongest Mm -hmm. values that you could have um, because again, it also sets you up for, you know, courage. um, As you uh, mentioned earlier, strategy and tactics come next. And then when you put them all together, now you've got like this complete package to go from vision to implementation, like on the ground, like uh, execution, to be able to deliver the result for yourself as well as others. Uh, And the reason why I set that framing is because I'm curious about strategy, more specifically, the strategies that you found useful Um, or effective rather for being able to attract high level clients like the Steve Harvey's and stuff of the world. I know there's going to be people who are listening to this, who are trying to navigate through the, how do I attract, uh, and and enroll my dream 100 clients, you know, as Russell Brunson calls it. How have you gone about doing that? Is it the same way that you're doing it now?
0: For the first 13 years, I built my business off of referrals. Um, and it wasn't simply, hey, do you have a client for me? Um, it was something that I realized much later on that I was really good at in its presentations. So what I would do is, as I'm working with a client, I would present them the kind of client I was looking for, the kind of project I was looking for, and why that was important. Uh, so that's one strategy. Okay. The other, which I carried with me from Jay Abraham, is studying other industries. I mentioned road mapping. So let's go back to that for a second. Road mapping, I learned from the web design industry. I had seen a web design company that had created uh, uh, road maps and they were charging for it. Now, these were just wireframes. They hadn't built the website. It's just you come to them, you have an idea, and they build out the, they draw it out pretty much for you. And I was just like, what if I could do that in video production? Um, And so it was studying other industries, but then having the courage to even implement it in video production. It is unheard of to charge before you ever press the camera Mm -hmm. to charge for the plan. That's really all it is. A roadmap is just a plan. It's an idea. It's a sheet, right? Or it's multiple pages, but it was unheard of at the time. And even when I started, I started, I think the very first one I did it was a, for $500. And the guy gave me a hard time about paying the $500. He paid it, but it was he gave me a really hard time about it. Today, I charge $17,000 for a road mapping session. But it started with this idea of what are other industries doing and how can I implement it? Hmm. Um, and that's important towards attracting my kind of client because my kind of client isn't looking to waste time. Uh, let's take a Stefan actually for as an example. Stefan, before working with me, when I reached out to him and continued to follow up, which is that's another strategy we'll talk about in a second, um, he was looking for something very specific. Now he didn't know how to communicate it. How I met Stefan is we were in a mastermind together, um, and I had I had kind of heard of Stefan, but I never realized like is this guy real? Because I had studied other copywriters, I had studied Dan Kennedy, uh, Gary Halbert, and and some of the other big players in this industry. But I was like, never really heard of Stefan Georgi. He just kind of came out of nowhere. Ironically, he ends up being in this mastermind with me. And I sit and I happen to sit next to him. And we're talking. And again, I never really, I don't pitch video production. Instead, I pitched to him. I help my clients tell stories around who they are, not about what they do. Stefan at the time had a two year old daughter and he was beginning to build his own personal brand at the time, but he didn't want to be known for copywriting. He Because people didn't know him as a per- person, as a human being. They didn't know his story. And the more we talked, the more he, just, he realized like, oh, this is the person that I want to work with. So I think the first part is looking at what other industries are doing. The first strategy, looking at what other industries are doing. The second one is how I communicate that and demonstrate that to a client um the demonstration came in road mapping right it comes in oh this is not a guy that he's just going to do a video for me there's the big overarching strategy there's the big overarching here here's how we go from point a to point b in road mapping there's three different sections dramatic clarity dramatic demonstration and dramatic leverage dramatic clarity is all about their core values core philosophies and beliefs and core stories i'm getting to know who they are but at that point it's only words Dramatic demonstration is how do we bring these words to life? That's where the storyboarding come in. Dramatic leverage is, all right, we've talked about what your core values and core stories are. We've even looked at how we're going to bring them to life. But how are you going to use this? How are you going to leverage this for other opportunities that you have in your business, for other marketing and other opportunities? That's an entire, we spend an entire day on that and it changes the position that I have with them positioning is probably the third most important piece. I've demonstrated it to you, but now I'm positioning things in a different way that you may not even thought of. Um, These are strategies that have carried me since 2015 when I honed in on all of this that I'm talking about is about 2015, started charging for road mapping. Saying no to clients. I only work with five clients a year on the production side. I do more consulting, but production is only five clients a year. So I'm selective about who I work with and I'm upfront about that. Just because you've paid me road mapping doesn't mean we're actually going to work together in video production. Everything, I think, boils down to are you leading them through the process? Are mm-hmm. you positioning yourself in a way that you're not just some guy that's doing, that's using a tool, even if the tool changes? will they want to follow you and ask for your advice you uh you talked about strategic advisor i think i forget who came up with it but i know i read it in a book about being your client's most trusted advisor yeah my clients are not just again because i'm leading them they may be coming to me about life advice which i never expected and never planned for But those are the different strategies over time. If you look at a Steve Harvey, how did I end up working with Steve Harvey? I had worked with uh, Jeff Johnson, who Jeff Johnson ended up writing, co-writing his book, ghostwriting his book, uh, Act Like a Success, Think Like a Success. And Jeff knew Steve Harvey was going um, on tour to promote this book. And Steve wanted to film behind the scenes of it. But he didn't want to just film random behind the scenes. He wanted a story out of it. Um Jeff referred me to Steve, but I still needed to pitch the vision of who I am, how I do what I do. It was the referral, but it was still the, hey, this is who I am. I'm gonna this is how I'm gonna guide you guys through this process. And so referrals, the road mapping, strategy session, and 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 just really positioning myself as everything that I'm doing is leading you. You're not second guessing, you're not uh, trying to figure out, okay, where is this going next? Or what do I do with this? I'm leading you throughout the whole entire process. I think if I had to overarch it into one strategy, it's leadership.
2: Mm.
0: You are not getting paid to deliver a product. You're getting paid to deliver success. That's not easy to do. And so, to me, that's what—that's why leadership has always just been so important. The key strategy behind all of that is driving all of it. Every time I look and find something new, like doing podcasts right now, it's all for me: leadership, leadership, and purpose.
1: It reminds me of a previous uh, podcast guest, uh, Russell Lachlan. He. Uh, great copywriter, also coach, Uh, conversionengineering.co. One of the things that uh, he shared with me that stuck with me, and and we go way, way back, uh, was this question in the form of, if you had to make sure that your clients cross the finish line, if they won no matter what, how would you then structure the project the work the anything to be able to make sure that that happened if you only got paid if they were successful how would it be different and such a i love the question because it it immediately mine goes to work on huh oh there might actually be gaps in the delivery there might be if we had yeah And it then just like holds us to this higher standard. There's something else though that you said that really resonates, which is purpose. And there are themes within what you shared earlier that allude to it, but I want to talk directly to it. It sounds like you have a very uh, clear purpose uh, for who you work with, why you do it. Could you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah. So my purpose is to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless, unwavering courage. Why? The, sto- the stories that I tell illustrates that courage. You asked why. I think it it boils down to the courage it took for me to start this business. Um, many people, I strongly believe that many people aren't doing the things that they want to do because of a lot of different factors, whether it's family or how family reacts to it because of circumstance. Um, I've always just looked at playing the game that I wanna play, that I am responsible for playing the game that I wanna play. And showing that, demonstrating that to others, unlocking, giving them the permission to believe that they can do it too. Uh, I used to say this, I don't say it anymore, but I used to say I'm just a black boy from Pompano. (laughs) Pompano wasn't even on the map 10 years ago, meaning no one really, and probably still doesn't know where Pompano Beach is, Pompano Beach, Florida. You've heard of places like Miami, Florida, or Fort Lauderdale, Florida, or Tampa, Florida, but Pompano Beach, that's just, it's it's not a place that people know of. (laughs) Um, But I've done things that seemed impossible when I first started them. I have this burning desire to show that to other people, because I think, you know, growing up being the youngest of 10 and still the only entrepreneur, Mm. I got to see how my siblings did it. And it was just like, "Mm, there's something different here. I don't think that's the way I want to do it. Not to say that they did anything wrong, but I just knew, I'll give you actually a very clear example. Uh, When my father passed away, I took two weeks off, shut down my computer um emailed all of my clients and said hey my father just passed away I'm taking the next two weeks off I'm not responding to emails right the whole nine yards but there was 10 days I think between the day my father died to the day we did his funeral I was the only one that took those 10 days off my siblings worked all up until that maybe up until the Thursday before Again, this doesn't mean that they've done anything wrong, but I just always, I didn't go into entrepreneurship because I didn't wanna work for the man. That was never my thing. It was just because a teacher believed in me. She told me I could make money. That was the light bulb that went off in my head. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go after this. But it wasn't until my dad died that I realized, yeah, I'm never going back to working a nine to five because of the freedom that it gained me. So why am I passionate about this purpose? When you take the next step of courage, you unlock things in your life that you'd never realized was possible. The fact that I can do that for others, um, it just, it it shows me that I'm fulfilling that purpose. Now there's ways I've done it that I've never understood that I would do it. I'll go into a very clear example, October 10th, 2020. um, I woke up that morning and could not move. My eyes mm-hmm. opened, but my body could not physically move. And I stayed there for about two hours. Afterward, when I was finally able to get out of bed. Um, I called my therapist now I had been seeing a therapist before, for other reasons. And I called my therapist and told him what was happening. And it was at that point, I was diagnosed with burnout, depression and anxiety. Now, 2020 was definitely the pandemic, but it was not because I wasn't making money that all of this happened, that the burnout, depression, anxiety happened. I made the most amount of money I've ever made in my career in 2020. And so it's like, how could I, this therapist is telling me I'm depressed. How could I be depressed? Now you take all of that. And I begin to share that story by then. So I started podcasting as a guest in 2019. And I began to just share my story and share everything that I've been going through. But at that point, 2020, this burnout, depression, anxiety happened. So 2021, I began to share that story and I began to talk about it on stage. And it wasn't until a woman walked up to me. I had been speak, I was speaking in um, Nashville, Tennessee, and a woman walked up to me afterward. I talked about my burnout story and she said, thank you. Hmm. She said, I've been going through something for a very long time. I never understood what it, understood what it was until you talked about it. It takes courage to talk about your story, to be vulnerable. It takes courage to even sit with what you're going through. But I think that courage translates into transformation for other people. And really, that's what all of this, tra- all of this purpose, my mission, that's what it translates into for me. This woman that saw me speaking at a conference and she didn't buy my product, she didn't become a client. It's not about the money for me, it's about fulfilling purpose and mission the money will follow in some form or fashion but it's really for me the reason i'm so passionate about the reason i lead with purpose is because it creates transformation for other people and if i'm not creating transformation for other people why am i here
1: i'm hearing themes of self-actualization and transcendence Maslow's hierarchy of needs going from the bottom of the base of the pyramid to the top, you know, helping yourself rise through the pyramid for human self-actualization and also helping others to find their way as well. And that to me is evidenced by the impact that you personally felt when you heard that story from that woman about how your story raised her awareness she went from unaware to aware of an emotional experience that she didn't even know that she was having uh and just in doing that um that was an act of service because now it is no longer this unnamed problem issue situation and now she can actually choose she now has the power of choice um, as far as what she might do about that and so yeah that me absolutely checks out which actually brings me back to an earlier conversation that we're having around self-leadership leadership Leadership has been a theme that has come up uh, in this conversation quite a bit but for me at least i found it's going to be really hard to lead others if you don't lead or become better at leading oneself And within the concept of self-leadership, I think about different areas of life that it could be applied to, you know, health, wealth, love, slash relationships. And I'm curious about how self-leadership, because it's clear that you've definitely had an abundance of, you know, uh, opportunities to practice it uh, as well. How do you see that affecting those different areas of your life? And We could dive into any. One of those three years. <laughs> we talked <laughs> about wealth
0: We talked about wealth quite a lot, right? So I'll, I'll skip that because I've already talked about th- there's a responsibility. When the moment happened with Keisha Dior and she called me to tell me she's made a million dollars, there was a responsibility on me at that point. What do I do with this information? Hmm. How do I choose to, to take the next step? Now, I chose to take the next step by looking for online courses, workshops, um, reading books. So we've talked about that at great length. Um, we started to talk about health and wealth, which to me, within the last three, four years have combined. Um, I'm really big on mental health for obvious reasons, burnout, depression, and anxiety. Now I can clearly say at this point, I'm out of burnout. Depression still lingers, anxiety, not so much. What led to this? Let's talk about that because that's why I say it's kind of intertwined. In twenty July twenty twenty July fourth twenty twenty, I proposed to my girlfriend I had been with for four years. August twenty second of twenty twenty, so about a month later, month and a half later, I had called off the proposal and the relationship. That created, which is why I mentioned I had been seeing a therapist. That created other domino effects. What I hadn't realized until I went to burn, through burnout, unless until I got diagnosed, at least through burnout, depression, anxiety, is that I had 14 different stressors in my life. Uh-huh. For context, most people can only handle three to four before they get <laughs> <keep> under pressure. <laughs> right. And so. I needed to rebuild. And rethink who is Jude Charles. What worked for me in my 20s, building this business, um, you know, and truly just working nonstop, what worked for me then was no longer working for for me in my 30s, even though I was making money. Now, I did it, I worked nonstop in my 20s, and I did everything that I could and just, you know, focused on building a business because that was what was important. That's what I felt like I needed to do. In my 30s, even though I had made money, I never changed how I work. And now at this point that I'm being told, I think I'm I'm 32, 33 at this time, being told that I need to change how I work, my work had been tied to my worth, my identity. But that was also causing mental health issues, right? The relationship that I was in was not right for me. But I didn't do the work in that in those areas of my life to understand that. It takes courage to know you're going through something and get help. I started this by saying that I was very prideful my first five years. What changed for me after working with Keisha is I just I it didn't matter what I was going through next, I asked for help. I had hired business coaches after that. I had you know, worked with other uh, mindset coaches after that. But seeing this therapist was the biggest game changer for me because it tied wealth, health, and love all together for me. Um, Without the right, for me at that point, actually, let's go deeper with this. When this breakup happened, one of the things about it is that I was very stubborn in staying in the relationship, because I had been to a point in my life where I had built a great career. I, And at that point, it was just like, what's the point? If I'm not going to have a family, if I'm not going to have a wife and kids, what's the point of me making all this money? Hmm. But that wasn't reason enough to stay. Yeah. And having to dig deeper into understanding why, I had parents who were together for 40 years, been through hell and back, And all I knew is no matter what you stay, when I made a commitment to doing something, the hardest thing for me to do was to break off the engagement. I knew when I needed to break off the engagement, it still took three weeks after to break it off and cried every day for three weeks. Because when I make a commitment and that's what I had been raised on, you make a commitment, you stay with that commitment no matter what. But again, working through and unraveling all of this, unraveling my identity and how I had built my identity over time, all of that is self-leadership. You need to work on yourself before you can try to lead other people. Because the same dysfunction, the same toxicity that you bring into your own life, you will bring into your business. You are leading your business. As much as, yes, I have been successful and I did these things, I did them in a in a way that they were dysfunctional like I biggest thing that came out of all of this I had to learn how to be versus doing I was just doing 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 the scoreboard for me was if I could reach to the next level by doing things instead of just showing up and being Jude Charles when I'm here on this podcast when I'm speaking on stage when I am now working with a client It's being, not doing. Hmm. I had to learn 2022, I produced this project, my best projects ever. And I battled depression throughout the entire project. I remember the first time filming with this client on a flight back home. I cried the entire time, not because the project was bad, but because I was suffering through depression. And despite the fact that I had suffered depression this entire project, it's one of my best projects. The client is extremely happy. And there are so many opportunities that came out of this. But it wasn't because I did anything different. I was just, I showed up as Jude Charles, even though Jude Charles may have been suffering through depression. I understood the depression was not who I am.
1: Three things. I remember the first is uh, I remember in another conversation we had you sharing that that client I think you'd later on gone on to share with them that mm-hmm. you were depressed and it, they said that they couldn't tell, yep. uh, which incredible going back to the theme of commitment and finishing, uh, what it is that you start also self-leadership. The second thing though, that I'm hearing within this to just call it out explicitly is Uh, self-leadership under the category of love and under the category of love uh, relationship with self before relationship with others yeah and going back now to an earlier part of what you shared i think you said you had 13 stressors Fourteen, yeah. Fourteen, fourteen stresses. I don't want to cut your stressors short,
0: Uh, (laughs) or maybe
1: I do like, (laughs) but but for the purposes of just as how you'd once shared your story before and it brought someone to a greater level of awareness, would you be open to sharing what some of those stresses were so that some were listening and maybe they didn't even realize that they had those stresses as well?
0: So uh, the pandemic happened March 11th, I believe, is when the president closed down the borders, and we realized how real this was. Mm-hmm. Um, I continued to work throughout the pandemic. I never had a day off. I had clients like Stephen George, I, who continued to work, so I continued to film. We were. I had three different projects going on. Two of those three decided to continue because they it just the pandemic didn't really affect them. So I was one of five people still on a plane traveling the country, at least the United States, Uh, to to produce projects Uh with a lot of uncertainty. So there is the stressor of a pandemic happening, Um, keep staying healthy. That's one stressor. The second stressor that comes with that is I had worked through the 2008 recession where I remember there was, I didn't make a dollar for six months. And to me, this is just itself repeating because a pandemic had never been heard of. The world stopped, the world, not just the United States, the yep. world stopping had never been heard of, at least in modern times. So I was like, of course, this is going to happen again. So I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I begin to operate out of a place of fear. So money was the second one, even though I made the most amount of money, but that, again, as you're going through it, you don't realize these yep. things. Um. I decided to add a proposal to my list. <laughs> I, on top of the proposal, had been remodeling a home. Hmm. Um, on top of remodeling a home, I was moving because of this proposal. Ah. Um, trying to think of the other stressors. I mean, and then the stressors of a relationship in general. Because my girlfriend at the time worked in the pharmacy industry, which means she was Ooh. going through her oh. own yeah through the pandemic yeah so there's that added to it um those are the top ones that i can remember at the time um and and i think so there's a bit of resentment too of not getting time off i can see that i'm very clear after the fact i didn't know this going through it i'm very clear that burnout had became Burnout had started in 2018. It didn't start in 2020. It got exacerbated in 2020, but it had started in 2018. And so that kind of lingered too. That was a stressor that had lingered because I had just been working so hard. Um, Granted, I take two months off every year. I had started doing that in 2013. But what worked for me in my 20s didn't work for me in my 30s. It's now June and December is when I take time off. But what I didn't realize is I would take that time off uh, in twenty since 2013 in November, December. I would race to the end of the year. It would take me all of November just to decompress. Wow. And then I could finally take time off in December, huh. right? Whereas now is June and December. So five months on, five months. I'm sorry, five months on, one month off, five months on, one month off. So there's a different cadence to it. But those other stressors. At the time, that's the ones that I remember that were very top. I might have mentioned eight or nine. I lost count, but those are the top ones um, that were top of mind for me of what I was going through at the time.
1: On the topic of stress. Dealing with uh, one's stress, you know, is just necessary for that relationship with self. And so. You shared an example just now of one of the ways that you, you know, rest, you know, take up entire two months off, you know, June, December. What else have you found to be particularly helpful and even required, you know, because maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it that far.
0: <laughs> First and foremost, see a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. When I began to go through this, I was seeing a therapist weekly, um, actually twice a week. Some, the very first six months, I think it was twice a week. And then I went to weekly and then we whittled away to where I'm not seeing one now, but I see, I, I see a therapist at least once a month, a kind of a check-in thing. Um, so that's the first thing see a therapist. The second is I've kind of built this, what I know I need daily. Uh, I need to be able to exercise at least 30 minutes a day. And exercise isn't necessarily going to the gym all the time. Sometimes it just means getting outside for a 30 minute walk. Um, So there's working out, writing, and water. Those are the three things that I know I need daily. Drinking enough water. Writing, because writing has become therapeutic. I write a newsletter, but um, sometimes even journaling has become therapeutic for me just getting my thoughts out and then working out, like I've already mentioned the exercise. Those three things I have to do daily. It doesn't matter what's going on. I travel quite a bit, even if I'm traveling. Water, uh, writing, working out. But first and foremost, see a therapist, um, figure out what works for you. What do you need that is outside of taking care of family or being there for others? How do you be there for yourself? um it's easy if you're an entrepreneur that you get tied up into the business and you get tied up into if you have a family life you work meaning you have a spouse and you have kids you get tied up into that um but what do you do for yourself uh, the other thing too that i have changed in how i work i only work four days a week at most five hours a day Um, five, five to six hours. If I'm in the middle of a project, more than likely though, it's going to be four hours that day. And, um, I don't work Friday through Sunday. So, um, so those are other things. It's just looking at how you work. The biggest question I always get is how do you, how are you able to take two months off? It's very Mm -hmm. simple. I just built it in and I charge my clients for it. I block it out of my calendar. I work backwards on how much money do I need to make in order to cover the bills for those two months and I charge a premium based on that because Mm -hmm. my time off is just as important as my time on. And so my time off helps me to replenish so that I can show up in a powerful way in my business, whether it's leading my team, because I do have a team of other um, cameramen and, and editors that I work with, or leading my client. 2020, this might've been 2021, May of 2021, I think it was. Nope, I'm wrong. May of 2022. Uh, I went to Delaware to film a project with a client, one of my biggest projects, another one. I had two very two big very, two very big projects in, in 2022. Um, big in the sense that I had produced them in ways I'd never produced projects before. Nonetheless, we were in Delaware with my team. There were four of us filming. Is that right? Yeah, three camera guys and plus me, so filming. My head of production was there with me, Jason. And we're filming at this conference center. The client, we're filming with a client. I'm doing the interview. I always do most of the interviews with the clients. And and we're filming this interview in the lobby of this conference center. They're on break. Our interview. Then we go back inside the conference center. People are coming back from lunch. And my team had walked ahead of me. I may have stayed behind and talked to the client, but I ended up walking in and Jason, my head of production, looks at me and he says, we just got robbed. <sighs> Oof. We walked into the conference with four cameras, 10 lenses, and then a bunch of other miscellaneous equipment. A person had came into this conference center and stole two cameras, eight lenses from us. Oof. The only reason he didn't get the other two cameras and the other two lenses is because we were filming with it. Mm. Now this, what we're filming with the client is a three day conference. We're only on day one and a half. So on the second day, but like half throughout the day. And I've got to lead a team, but also figure out how to do a police report. And they had cameras and all these other things. And in total, this guy stole $20,000 worth of equipment. Now this is jarring for me because at this point I'm 16 years in business. And I have not lost so much as even a small microphone. Mm. Jason, the client comes up to us, she has figured out what's going on. We told her what was happening. And then uh, maybe an hour later she comes back and she says, okay, so what did the police say? Cause by this point, the police had came, we did the police report. And she was like, what did the police say? And Jason said, look, we did the police report. They do have cameras. We're gonna figure out what happened. And he's like, but we're still gonna be successful. I immediately jump in and I say, look, Jason's trying to put lipstick on a pig. We're not going to be successful. We have lost two cameras, majority of our lenses. We are going to finish this job, but it's not going to be what you normally get. Why did I do that? I understood what Jason was trying to do by shielding the client. But I, over the years, have learned my clients don't want to be shielded. They need the truth. They need to know what's, what's going on so that they can properly assess as well. This is 2022 in the midst of two very big projects in the midst of battling depression. Hmm. I bring all that up because while, yes, I'm I'm battling depression while I'm going through all these things, water, writing, working out. Hmm. It's important to understand what you need in order to be able to show up in a way that is effective despite whatever else you have going on in your life. Um, and so, yeah, self-leadership is so critical to me because I've just seen it show up over and over, more than anything after this burnout, depression, anxiety. Like, yes, I've kind of done some mindset work before then, but when you when you are literally thrown in the fire over and over and you realize you show up and you show up in a way that is Hell, it's some, sometimes surprising to yourself. It's because you've done all this work that compounds over time um, that leads you to where you are today.
1: No further questions, Your Honor. I think we just wrap it right there. <laughs> like, <I guess. laughs> no, but uh, on a more serious note, um, that's such a powerful story. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I know... That's going to reach someone that listens to this and they will re-listen to it more than once, uh, in a time when they will need it. Yeah. Uh, cause in just the short time that this podcast has launched, I've gotten private messages of people who, uh, could use that story, uh, in particular. So thank you for sharing that. This is going to be a hard segue. Tell us the Jenga story.
0: <laughs> it's not that hard of a segue i uh so i talked a little bit about this this happened in the in the the speaking engagement i did in march of i'm sorry not in march but in nashville tennessee mm-hmm. um part of me talking about burnout was actually let me backtrack to that i've talked about dramatic demonstration and i'm really big on not just saying things but bringing them to life especially when i'm speaking on stage um i don't want to be that boring speaker as you can tell i talk about very Big high-level topics that some people can get lost in, so I really want to make it practical for them and create that transformation. I told my burnout story um, in in this uh, this I was speaking on stage in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I told this burnout story. But at the end of this, uh, I think it was an hour talk. At the end of it, what I did was I well throughout the session I was playing with a Jenga set, so we all know it. Most people have played Jenga. You Remove a block and you put it back on top. Well, what I had done is I wrote words on each of the, the Jenga blocks in words like listening to too many podcasts, spending too much time on social media, um, redoing your website. As I was speaking, I had two, I think it was two or three other women remove blocks, but I had them sit it to the side. And the point of that was that I had to learn how to remove things that no longer served me in my life. Now, most people will remove things, but then sometimes it ends up back on top. What I wanted to prove is remove it, leave it to the side, and you realize the structure still holds. In Jenga, there are 52 pieces. I took out maybe in total 16 to 20 pieces, but you realize the structure still holds. On top of that, to make it more engaging, I asked people in the audience, who needs to stop spending so much time on social media or who needs to not look at redoing their website again? first person that raised their hand, I threw them to the Jenga piece. So there were all those pieces that were removed from your life, but there were three pieces that I had mentioned you need to hold. You need It needs to stay in order for the structure to hold. There was courage, confidence, and core values. In those same three pieces, I threw those out into the audience. First person to raise their hand, I threw them out. Now, what I didn't expect is that I went into the Facebook group for this conference and I said, uh, just randomly, who still have their Jenga pieces? I might've thrown out 10 pieces, I think, and all. And what surprised me wasn't just people that said, yes, I still have it. They showed me the picture of where they have it. And they had it in front of their desk, some in front of their desk as far as like where they work um, from home, others in their living room. And it was just like, all oh, this really became tangible for people that it's a reminder of either what they need to remove or what they need to keep. Hmm. In life when you go through things like burnout depression again i what worked for me in my 20s no longer worked for me in my 30s i had to learn how to remove things and be okay with removing it and realize okay i removed it the structure still holds. The hardest thing for me to do was to only work 4 days a week 4 hours a day because I felt like I just needed to do, do, do. I had already built a great business. I had already built great leverage. Um, And so that was the Jenga story. It's being able to remove pieces and realizing the structure still holds and changing your belief system, which you think you needed, you no longer need.
1: For the people who are listening, and there's a subsegment of them that are avid journals, journalists. Well, not journalists, not journal. They journal a lot, (laughs) and having that story is actually going to be really impactful for them because it's this visualization of a concept that is often spoken about. We know it's helpful, but we don't really have a way to be able to have an emotional connection to it to be able to then process through uh, the pieces of Jenga that are in our lives. And so yeah. I think that's a really, really powerful one.
0: I think to add to that, it's actually, and in, in, I'm only coming up with the idea as we're talking, it's a very helpful exercise to literally go to you know, a store and buy a Jenga set. Write out all of the distractions or all of the, let's not call them distractions, all the things you have going on in your life. And literally play a game of removing the piece. You don't know what's written on the piece. Write, write these things that are going on in your life. Write them on the pieces. Remove, take it out. And literally week to week, just remove that.
2: Ooh, nice.
0: And see what happens. Because I think, again, people aren't given permission to realize this will not fall apart. In any given week, there are only four things I can focus on. That's it and I write that out for the week, everything else falls by the wayside. Everything else. Mm. But those four things. And I've been doing that at least for a year now. And again, you realize things don't fall apart.
1: I would push back and say that it's clear to me at this point that you're very good at Jenga. Um, (laughs) 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 Clearly, you're the the person that was. No, but... (laughs) I would even add to that, um, half jokingly, uh, to say if it does fall apart, you can actually put the pieces
0: back. Yep. Back together. It's a great point. If it does fall apart, you can put the piece back. Um, yeah, because in Jenga, even when the pieces fall apart, you, you build it right back up. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, yes, yeah, that, that is an exceptional point. Even if it does fall apart, just put it back. And take something else out, but put it back,
1: as opposed to just staring at a pile. (laughs) Well, it's over now. (laughs) Game over. (laughs) And
0: and and you know, again to that point, I think it fell apart for me. Right, Mm. like in 2020, when I went through burnout, depression, anxiety, everything had fallen apart. Like I had to take at that point three months off. I took October, November, December off um, from the business in, in 2020, just to recover right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it just all fell apart for me. And so, but I'm at a point now, as we're recording this in 2023, that is, I can honestly say my life is 10 times better than it was, even though I've gone through what I've gone through, even though it fell apart. I rebuilt it. I put it back together. Um, and all of it was a blessing, right? Like, if there's one thing I've learned in my life, with my father passing away, and then after this, journey of burnout depression anxiety they didn't feel good mm. my when my father passed away i remember thinking to myself he had to pass away for me to discover my purpose this burnout depression and anxiety had to happen in order for me to understand my true identity and calling mm. they do not feel good it is that inner and outer transformation that you talked about in the beginning it's not that doesn't mean it's a great journey yeah but when you come out on the other side of it um, it is worth it it is hard work there's no doubt about it i will not say this was easy this this whether it's building the business or going through um, the mental health issues have not been easy but it's been worth it
1: i would agree and i relate Uh, for no person's uh, process through grieving is the same Uh, but for me my grandmother, uh, passing, uh, and literally, uh, confronting her death, like face to face, uh, being the pallbearer at her funeral, um, with, you know, my two brothers and my uncle, like it, one of the things that I drew a line in the sand, the proverbial sand uh, back then was I would only work on projects from that point forward that were meaningful uh, to me because I didn't want to waste uh, any time, and that to me was the way to honor her legacy, um, us as her living legacy uh, that she had left behind. And to your point, uh, one of my therapists at the time, well, I only had one therapist at the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, someone out there has got like multiple therapists, hey, get, get whatever you need. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, they, they shared something with that stuck with me, which was, uh, death gives the living the opportunity to reevaluate priorities, uh, in life. Uh, And that has continued to be true for me. Uh, and it, it sounds like through your story that it was very true for you.
0: Absolutely. Um, what used to matter just didn't matter anymore, um. Even friendships had to change. My circle had to change. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I ever wrote that on the Jenga set, but I think there are people who drag you down and not drag you down in a very intentional way, but they're just draining.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And I had to be okay with, because I was the friend that I would show up no matter what. I would be there for people, whatever they needed. But that doesn't always serve you there's a level of selfishness that has to happen selfishness has gotten a bad rap over the years but there's a level of selfishness that has to happen you cannot show up for other people unless you show up for yourself because again it's it's it serves no one to be broken and trying to serve Hmm. that's perfect no one's perfect but it serves no one to be broken and serving at the same time
1: The concept that comes to mind uh, in response to that is boundaries. Yes. And I'm a very visual person and I've always, uh, just why I like stories like the Jenga story, like I find to be particularly helpful. Um, one visualization for boundaries that uh, was very helpful for me was three kinds of boundaries, three states that boundaries can exist in you've got a bunch of holes so anything can come in and out osmosis good stuff oh feels good you know bad stuff oh it's in <laughs> and then boundaries that are walls you know and so great all the bad stuff stays out but also you're walled off from all the good in the world as well and you know now like a flower in you know impoverished soil you know you die uh, eventually at least emotionally psychologically Uh, and then the third, uh, boundaries that have doors, you know, can open, let the good stuff in, look through the people, oh, bad stuff, close the door, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. To the point of boundaries, if you could go back to $3,000 contract Jude versus now, to give yourself any advice with regards to boundaries? Is there anything that you would share?
0: Be careful of your inputs. Uh, We live in a time where there is social media, there is TV, there is Netflix and Hulu and all these other things. Um, There are books to read. There are, there's misinformation actually, I'm going to change that perspective versus vision. Mm -hmm. We all are born with the ability to see. That's vision. We have two eyes. Majority of us, I won't say not 100% of us are born with it. There are some people who are born blind, but majority of us are born with the ability to see. Without the right set of lenses on, I can't read the words, like for me, at least that are far away. I wear glasses and they are to see far away. And if I don't have on my glasses, I can't see far away. I can't read the words that are coming up on the billboard, on the screen, whatever you want to look at. And so it requires the right set of lenses on, the right perspective to be able to read what is happening in front of you or to read the room, right? And To me, I didn't always have the right perspective. I started this business with a lot of pride. Mm -hmm. Um, And then over time, just got lost in my own identity, the wrong perspective, right? Um, But I needed to be careful of my inputs, what influenced me and how it influenced me. It doesn't mean that I'm closed off to things that are, doesn't mean I'm not open-minded. I think it's still important to be open-minded, but to be careful in how open-minded you are, how easily influenced you are. So the perspective versus vision. Do you have on the right set of lenses? It was easy. It could have been easy for me to be bitter when Keisha Dior made a million dollars and I only made 3000. Instead, I decided to fight through it and believe in myself in a different way that I've never believed in myself. That was the right perspective. Um, so that is the one advice I would give is perspective versus vision. Read the right books. It's not about self-help books because I actually am not big on uh, promoting self-help books as much as biographies. I love be- reading biographies because it helps me think how this entrepreneur or person, it doesn't always have to be an entrepreneur, but I happen to love reading books on entrepreneurs how they thought through what they were doing. Mm. Um, It's also a secret weapon of mine of why I like doing documentaries on entrepreneurs because I get to see the behind the scenes of their businesses and what happens when they're going through what they're going through. I worked with one client who ran a $100 million business and it was selling jewelry and the fulfillment center that shipped out the jewelry was a different vendor. They ended up closing down and she had $5 million worth of jewelry in this business that she had to get out in three days. <laughs> and it, again, it could cripple her entire business, which was all her jewelry. I got to see the behind the scenes of what it took to actually do that and make that happen. Hmm. Perspective versus vision. I do not run a $100 million business, um, but again, yet. it gave me insight. Yet, yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But it gave me insight. In perspective for how I run my own business now again she she was in the process of possibly losing five million dollars, which really would have lost would have crippled her business when the twenty thousand dollar robbery happened mm-hmm. never happened before. I don't know what it means to get robbed. And on top of that, it's not just getting robbed of my own you know personal things. It's like I'm working. This is my livelihood, yep, which creates its own level of vulnerability and So I won't go, the point is perspective versus vision. Mm -hmm. What is the perspective you hold? How do you continue to sharpen that perspective? How does it carry you forward? That is the one thing that I would, that's the one piece of advice I would give myself.
2: Hmm.
1: That is a powerful perspective. (laughs) Question for you though. I've never asked this question before. If you could go into the future. Mm. Maybe it's one year out, two years out. Is there any advice that you would put in, you know, put in the glass bottle, ship it out to sea, have it come back to you?
0: That is an exceptional question. Um. Here's the advice. The reward for your last challenge is the next challenge. <laughs> the reward for overcoming your last challenge is the next challenge. Um, I heard that uh, recently said by Bishop T.D. Jakes, and it hit me because as I was going through burnout, depression, anxiety it did not feel good. And truthfully, there were points in my life where I was just like, I'm not going to get through this. Um, but the reward of getting through that challenge is the next challenge, which again, I had, I think i had always played in the back of my mind that I could go after a million dollar project, but I had never like actually done the work for it. in and, and I say done the work, I don't, it's not the being versus doing, it's like actually filling out a proposal of saying this is and writing out, typing out, this is a million dollar project, like in budget and everything. Um, but that is the reward of what I just went through Mm. and the belief that was created in me of after what I just went through, because I honestly, like I said, in the beginning of that journey, it was just like, this is so difficult and hard. I don't know if I'm really going to get through this or that I'll ever be able to show up in a way that I showed up before. And in working on that other project that I mentioned, um, with Luann Nigera, that was the client's name, the, the client that, uh. I told that I was going through depression. She was like, I never noticed. I didn't even notice. Um, Or that she couldn't tell. It's not that she didn't notice, but she couldn't tell, like, the way I showed up. Um, It just showed me, like, I showed up. And despite what I was going through, I showed up, and it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about it being a big project. It wasn't the intimidation of it being a big project. It was just Jude Charles showed up, and I believe i didn't understand it until i heard bishop td jake say but i believe the reward of your of overcoming your last challenge is your next challenge and that is how you continue to grow keisha do you are three thousand dollars in that moment with the car being repossessed um created the next challenge for me okay how do i increase this and continue to believe in myself um and so over time that's continued to happen it's continued to play out that is what i would write in a bottle because the next challenge is not over. Like there won't, mm. challenges won't end just because you got over your last one. And I will need that reminder. I never thought I would. And that's why I love your question. I had a client who, every time I finish a docuseries, I watch it with a client first before it ever goes live. Obviously the client gets to watch it first. And I remember a client saying to me, I don't remember saying half of these things, but I needed to hear it again. mm and so I know a year from now, two years from now, I'm going to need to be reminded, you've been here before, you grew from it, the reward of overcoming your last, your last challenge is your next challenge. And so, yeah, that's what I'd put in a bottle.
1: Well, future Jude, if you're listening to this, you, <laughs> you heard it, you heard it here first or second. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, that's incredible. Uh, that's an incredible uh, illustration of just like self leadership uh, in action, but projected out into the future. Because I, I do very much believe that um, if we're on this journey of you know health, wealth, love, and then like within love, relationship with self, you know, and uh, being able to be a best friend to self um, grows the love, grows the strength all of the positive attributes, uh, within the self and part of that is self coaching, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone that I talk to that has achieved, not just, you know, financial levels of success, but also personal, you know, internal levels of success, uh, that's one, that's one attribute that everybody seems to not just actively worked on, but continues. To like work on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Flipping from some of the inner journey to the outer journey to help someone who's listening with their own outer journey, I'd love to talk to you more about the dramatic demonstration. What is it? (laughs) What are the steps? Tell us about it.
0: Dramatic demonstration in very simple terms is going from telling your story to showing your story, bringing it to life in a way that becomes three dimensional. Um, It is important to not just tell people things or like, or say a statement, like some people will talk about how great they are at what they do. Okay, that's great, that's a statement. Or some people will talk about the integrity that they have in their business, or we believe in doing the right thing. Show that, prove that to me. Um, There are five different demonstrations uh, Behind the scenes, live illustration, social proof, unique mechanism, and transformation. And I break down each five of them, each one of them, to illustrate these different points. So behind the scenes is kind of like uh, being a fly on the wall. Um, what happens when no one is looking? What does the messy middle look like? Uh, live illustration is kind of like the Jenga story where I brought this idea of burnout and what you need to do and I brought it to life through this Jenga set I used objects or sometimes you'll use people to illustrate a point that's a live illustration social proof we've heard that term before but the way I like to think about social proof is the visual cues when if you're watching the video portion of this uh, Mark is nodding his head or Mark is in deep thought as we're talking that is social proof that he is understanding or even agreeing with some of the things that I'm saying. Um, when someone put their hand on their heart, that means you said something very heartfelt to them. If they're laughing, you obviously they you've told a joke. It's, all of that is social proof. It's the deeper seeing of not just someone talking about how great you are, but you're seeing the emotional reaction. Unique mechanism is the unique characteristics that make us who we are. Um, if you watch Stefan Georgi's uh, docu-series, he's a very quirky dude, but it makes him who he is. Like one, one of his friends says he's a 90 year old in a 32 year old's body, right? Like, <laughs> but there's these personality traits that he has. He's obsessed with copywriting. And I show that him sitting in front of a computer for hours on hours, writing copy. Um, his obsession, I try to show that. So that's, that's a unique mechanism. And then transformation, it's not just life before and life after, I'm sorry, it's not just before and after, which we see in the fitness world, it's life after. Hmm. The best illustration I have of that is a fitness coach who works with women who are over 40. And she gets this text message from her client. And in the text message is a picture of an empty airplane. And then the text says, this is the first time in my life, this woman is over 40, this first time in my life. I'm getting on an airplane and I don't have to ask for a seatbelt extension. It is not about losing a hundred pounds. It's not about fitting in the jeans that you wore in high school. It is possibly not having to go through the embarrassment, the anxiety, the discomfort of asking for a seatbelt extension. Ironically, after hearing that story, I'm sitting in first class on an airplane and I see people coming onto this airplane and I see a woman whisper in the ear of a tra- of a flight attendant. And for some reason, I just paid attention to this and the flight attendant goes into a, a, a cupboard and slowly at her side, she hands this woman a seatbelt extension. And it was then, until I saw that, that I understood what comes with having to ask for a seatbelt extension. I commend this flight attendant for being discreet. It took emotional intelligence, but that is this woman who no longer has to ask for a seatbelt extension, it, that is the life after. These five demonstrations, dramatic demonstrations, I, I look to show in my documentary series because it takes someone from just hearing who you are to believing who you are. And when people believe, they trust you and they buy from you. And it changes the relationship that you now have with him. Stefan put it the best way I've ever heard a client put it. After doing his docu-series, he had been successful already. Like like you've already mentioned, Mark, $700 million copywriter. But he said people were more receptive to his message, which translated into, him, into them buying his courses after watching the docu-series. It made it easier to make the sale. That's dramatic demonstration to me is... How do I continue over and over and over to show, not just tell, even with visual words as I'm talking, how do I show, not just tell, so that you will understand what it is that I'm looking to communicate um, and hoping that you understand. Hmm.
1: In your experience, is there one part that has a greater weight Transformation. Be, yeah.
0: Easily, easily transformation. Um, yeah, I think this is the best way I can put it. So, I worked with a client, Darnell, who we did road mapping. And in road mapping, we came up with this idea. And it was really a throwaway idea. It really wasn't like the main part of everything we talked about. But one thing we talked about was that Darnielle has over 200 testimonials. At the time, she had over 200 testimonials on her website. And I was just like, ah, just don't go deep enough. There needs to be case studies. Go deeper into the why behind the testimonials. Well, what I was really doing was positioning myself to do these case studies as a a project. Darnielle ended up picking out 10 clients, recording their interviews on Zoom. These were about 15 to 20 minute interviews. Turning that into an email series, and within sixty days, she had made one hundred thousand dollars.
2: Wow.
0: That's part A of this. There's three different parts, so that's part A. Part B. Uh, we were filming. She has this conference called uh, Breakthrough, and in this conference, the whole it's a three-day conference. But a third day, the whole point of it is you need to break through a board. It's it's a board break board breaking exercise. And on this board are new things that you want to do in your life, but you have to break through in order to be able to do it. Now, this isn't always planned, but there's always just one or two people that can't break their board. It happens every time she had been doing the, the break, board breaking session for maybe four or five years, but it happens every time. The beauty of this happening this one time is that there's a woman named Jolanda who couldn't break her board. This is my first time filming this whole entire conference, but she couldn't break her board. Because I do research, I know the year before, Jolanda went through the same thing. She couldn't break the board. <laughs> and so Darnielle coaches her through it. She ends up breaking the board. But what we end up putting together, using cell phone footage from the year before, is, Dar- is uh, Jolanda talking through why she couldn't break the board the mm. year before, what happened, the transformation, and then what needed to happen again the second time in order for her to understand like why this matters so much. The first time Jolanda couldn't break the board, she had barely gotten over hundred thousand dollars, but she, when she broke the board the first time she had made it to $600,000 in her business. Second time we haven't done the follow-up, but the point is life after breaking the board changed. So that's part B. These are client success stories. Part A was just doing it on zoom. Part B was um, this board-breaking session. Part C is that on our second project that we that I worked on with Darnell, we knew how powerful these client transformation stories were, but now Darnell had begun to shift her message towards legacy hmm. and what that looks like. So we picked four different clients, different parts of America, and we went to their home to film their family life. It wasn't just about building a better business. What is the legacy they're going they're building now that they leave behind for their kids and their children's children. Transformation to me is the most powerful because it is undeniable. Once you see it life after changes, and that creates its own kind of transformation as to what's possible. When I talk about burnout, depression, anxiety, and then where I am now today and on the other side of it, that I've gone from what was already quote unquote impossible to some people doing $100,000 project or six-figure projects to now thinking of a seven-figure project, it's life after. How did I get there? What is the mindset behind that? To me, that's the most powerful of all transformations is being able to, here's the other thing about transformation is you get to see behind the scenes, live illustration, social proof, and unique mechanism combined in transformation. Uh. It's inadvertent, but you see it. Because as we're filming all of these Jolanda and she can't break the board. You're seeing behind the scenes of Darnell coaching her through it. It's not just you're hearing Darnell coach her through it too, because Darnell is mic'd, right? The breaking of the board is a live illustration. Seeing Jolanda break this board and then the reaction she has and how everybody comes around her and hugs her is social proof, right? Um, And then the unique mechanism of what Darnell brings. Darnell teach. She's a business coach that teaches from the perspective of spiritual principles. All of that comes together in that transformation that you're seeing with Jolanda. Um, That's why it's easy for me to answer that transformation is the most powerful. It's the hardest to put together, but it's the most powerful.
2: Agreed.
1: It ties back to what we spoke about earlier with the hero's two journeys and, you know, overcoming that inner conflict, but it is literally revealing both the outer journey and the inner journey. Um, it has it either explicitly as well as implicitly, you know, uh, communicated, uh, I can definitely see that, uh, and it's felt as well. As soon as someone is able to even just like watch it, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, that checks. I am also being conscious of the fact that you have another appointment. (laughs) <laughs> coming up after this <laughs> and i am thoroughly enjoying this conversation there is always more yes to talk to you about uh and so i just have a few uh wrapping questions mm-hmm. that i would love to get into with you the first is you mentioned earlier you don't really do like self-help books but biographies is there one biography in particular that has been really impactful for you
0: yeah uh hot seat by jeff Eimlet. um jeff Eimlet was the ceo of general electric for 17 years i believe but the day jeff Imlet took over was september 10th 2001 I'm going to let that sink in
2: oh <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: The next day was September 11th, the September 11th attack. General Electric had built, I believe, two of the four planes that (sighs) went through, that were used in the hijacking and attack of of September 11th. And on top of that, he took over from what was considered, or from who was considered the best CEO of all time, Jack Welch. So you're following Jack Welch. And you have the day, literally the day you're celebrating, you finally made it to CEO. You're you're also dealt the worst cards ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing what he went through, and he talks about it very candidly in his book, Hot Seat, um, of like how he was able to do the things that he did in order to transform General Electric. um, That's the one I always recommend. There's another book uh, from... Reginald F. Lewis, that has completely transformed my life. Why should white guys have all the fun? (laughs) (laughs) That is a title. (laughs) That is a title. That is a title. And I, it has made me think different. It's made me play a bigger game Mm. than I've ever played before. Just, it's a book I read every year. um, Mm. Because... Unfortunately, Reginald F. Lewis is no longer with us, but he the things he was able to do was very inspiring how he did it. He started as a lawyer and then ended up running a private equity company. Um, but just the obstacles he had to overcome in his life. And it's not really about him being African-American as much as him just believing in himself. Um, the disappointments he had in life that he just continued to just power through mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's the second book that I always recommend. Those two books, Hot Seat and Why Should a White Guys Have All the Fun um, are two very powerful books.
1: Hard segue question for you. <laughs> you are trapped in a second pandemic. Mm. You don't know this how long it's going to last and for whatever reason you have to choose just one kind of dessert to eat. Okay. What do you choose?
0: A white chocolate truffle raspberry cheesecake.
1: That was very specific.
0: I love it. That is the one dessert I could have over and over. Never have enough of it. White chocolate truffle raspberry cheese. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: What you don't know is that after I had breakfast this morning, I had the last piece of cheesecake in my fridge. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have
1: not had white truffle, white truffle, white chocolate, white white chocolate. chocolate.
0: Truffle, raspberry cheesecake.
1: Raspberry cheesecake. Got it. Okay. Add (laughs) it to the list. (laughs) uh, If you could leave our listeners uh, with, or viewers, with one question to propel them forward to the next uh, level of life that they're aspiring to, what would it be?
0: Why? Simon Sinek. um, Most people know, most companies know what they do. They can even tell you how they do it differently. Very few can tell you why they do it differently or why they do what they do. Um, I think it was Toyota that came up with the five whys. It is incredibly important to not just answer the question, but answer why. You've done actually a great job of that today, Mark, when you when we talked about purpose. And you're just like, why? Why do you care? Um, continuing to dig deeper into that why unlocks a new level. Until your why makes you cry, you don't know why. Hmm. So why? Why are you getting up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Why do you care? Why? Are you continuing to show up day after day why does this work matter to you to such a degree that you would die doing it why
1: that is a wonderful message to leave everyone with i just want to say thank you for sharing so much of your story so much of your wisdom your life lessons to be able to help propel us to the next level of our lives uh and yeah let's make sure this isn't the last one because there's more for us to talk about
0: yeah there's a lot more uh for sure and i I thank you for going deep one of my core values is depth versus width and i thank you for really going deep into these stories and Understanding the psychology behind them and not just the story itself, but like what led to it. Um, so, thank you for inviting me to be on and to giving me an opportunity to share it with your audience.
1: My honor, my pleasure. Till next time.